Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Lucas on Life. A very good evening to you and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas and what a season it's been in Westminster. Years ago, the columnist Janet Street Porter said that Britain was becoming shouty Britain and there's certainly been a lot of shouting in the House of Commons. Partygate, as it's been called, continues. Partygate, as it's been called, continues. The Prime Minister has seen a number of his key aides leave number 10 with questions about whether they were jumped or were they pushed. And there's been a lot of name-calling, with Ed Miliband calling the Prime Minister a stain on our politics after Mr Johnson made comments about Keir Starmer and the tragedy of the serial abuser Jimmy Savile. There's been lots of shouting indeed, perhaps for good reason. We have opposition politics. That's how democracy works. But tonight, I'd like us to allow these recent events to challenge us. How well do we Christians do when we disagree? Do we disagree agreeably? Lucas on Life, we're considering conflict here on Premier Christian Radio and switching gears for a moment, here's a man who's made such a massive contribution to the life of the global church, Graham Kendrick. It made a refreshing change from the computerised announcements that are broadcast on trains and stations these days. The Eastbourne train is delayed by 10 minutes. I am very sorry for any inconvenience that this causes to your journey. Yeah, right. Sincerity is suspect in a robotic pre-recorded announcement, so the sorrow sounds like a sham. When a computer is sorry, does it pause for a moment of grief, locking its own keyboard out of respect? But when it's very sorry, does it self-destruct its own hard drive? Mechanised sorrow is rather unconvincing. So there I was, parked in front of my computer on yet another train, and the very live and spontaneous announcement that the guard made was surprising and refreshing. He said, ladies and gentlemen, this is your guard speaking. This train is delayed. I've got no idea why. I could make up an excuse for you, but I won't bother. It's just delayed, and that's that. I'll let you know if I find out any more news. In the meantime, I'm really sorry. I smiled at his uncluttered candour, but then, just a minute later, the train PA crackled again. This time, it was the driver who was obviously miffed at his colleague's frankness. He blew into the microphone like an amateur Elvis impersonator taking to the stage and spoke with the odd staccato of a club singer. Uh, ladies and uh, gentlemen, this is your driver, Spiginner. And uh, following the uh, recent announcement made by my colleague, who is uh, usually very professional, allow me uh, to provide you with the uh, reasons for the delay to this service. He then gave a lengthy explanation for the tardiness and said he was sure that the highly experienced guard, who was also a long-serving staff member, would respond helpfully to any further inquiries about the delayed service. The tension between them was palpable. These chaps were having a very public spat over the PA. Incredibly, within seconds, the guard came back on to make a further response. This train journey was getting really interesting and could possibly lead to a world war. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your guard here. My colleague, the driver, is quite right, and I am delighted to confirm that this train will arrive at its various destinations eventually. I laughed out loud and most of the carriage joined me, but then I realised that I'd just witnessed an escalation of conflict. Instead of having a quiet word in private about appropriate procedures and announcement protocol, these two railroad gladiators were taking their irritations with each other out into a very public arena. Watching others quarrelling, getting into conflict, is always uncomfortable. I've experienced a few buttock-crunching moments when married couples have sniped at each other in front of me during a shared meal or during a car journey. Awkwardness shrouds what moments earlier was a happy event. I find myself staring woodenly at my food as if utterly fascinated by it or out of the window studying a perfectly ordinary tree, hoping and praying that they'll call time on their squabble. And it's even worse if they try to draw me in and take sides. What do you think, Jeff? I think you should wait until you're alone and I'm out of earshot and then you can sort yourselves out. That's what I think. Sometimes churches are shattered because we turn personal conflicts into church-wide feuds. There's plenty to get upset about in church, be it our pew preference, the woman with the spaceship-sized hat which eclipses the sun, the vicar's pompous preaching voice, or that irritating person with whom we simply have a personality clash. We can turn small grievances into public vendettas, drag other people into the ring, and end up with an unseemly congregational fistfight. Groups form into indignant, self-righteous gangs who want to score points and win rather than resolve the issue peaceably. Before long, seismic cracks appear and churches fracture and divide, sometimes irreparably. People become vicariously offended for each other. The original contentious issue fades into insignificance and the fight itself becomes the focus, which makes resolution difficult, if not impossible. Anger is not a laser-directed missile that zeroes in on one target, but a bomb that can create collateral havoc everywhere. I've seen the carnage too often. So when we're irritated in our friendships, marriages or churches, and when it comes to church, if we've been part of one for more than six months and nothing about it has upset us yet, then we're probably clinically dead. Before we reach for the proverbial microphone, let's pause. Perhaps this can all be sorted out quietly without a public spat. And although it might take great grace, epic patience, and a willingness to forgive for the 70th time, perhaps we will arrive at a beautiful destination, a place of peace and reconciliation. Although, as the guard cheerfully reminded us, these things might take time, but we might get there eventually. Political developments often provide the world with an interesting cast of characters from US presidents to UK prime ministers and others in leadership around the globe. For a start, certain former world leaders seem to have very odd hairstyles, causing hairdressers worldwide to reach for their scissors, itching to give these headline grabbers a decent trim. But without even getting into any party political issues, there are often more serious concerns. The way that conflict is handled these days is a worry. It's very easy for individuals to fire off a tweet labelling prominent figures as stupid, sleazy or bimbo. One UK Prime Minister famously called his colleague in the London Assembly 
a great supine protoplasmic invertebrate jelly, which, although creative, was very acerbic. The political arena has always been a place of fierce argument and fast retort, so Winston Churchill, rightly celebrated for oratory that galvanised the nation at war, knew the power of an acidic sentence. He said, I wish Stanley Baldwin no ill, but it would have been much better if he had never lived. He said that in 1946. He called Labour leader Ramsay MacDonald a sheep in sheep's clothing. On Prime Minister Clement Attlee, he mused, there is less there than meets the eye. Ouch. Sometimes vitriol can plummet new depths. Instead of debating issues, leaders resort to infantile barbs and personal attacks. Sadly, when adults in high office model bullying behaviour, young people may well feel justified in doing the same. We Christians need to beware too. A favoured weapon of choice among believers is the labelling machine. A Christian leader raises genuine concerns and questions about a theological topic and is quickly tagged as a heretic. There is such a thing as heresy, and truth must be guarded, but it's the speed at which the label is applied that's really worrying. Those in leadership can be guilty of labelling too, especially the more insecure types. As a young pastor, I was irritated by a lady in our church who fearlessly confronted the male-dominated model of leadership that we had at that time. I quickly tagged her as divisive and viewed her as an interloper who threatened our unity. However, she was perfectly within her rights to raise her concerns. I believe, actually, she was totally right in her theological convictions, and I'm grateful that she accepted my apology some years later. There is a genre of name-calling which is particularly devastating because the person attacked has no means of defence. A preacher is dubbed as unsound. Their teaching is not deep enough, an entirely subjective accusation because there's no way to scientifically measure just what is deep enough. Exuberant worship is sniffily dismissed as frothy. Healthy discussion and disagreement become impossible while dissidents are tagged as traitors. Authentic unity is not the result of an absence of conflict. If you're in a church where everyone always agrees on everything and dissenters are quickly shuffled to the edges, then run for your life. The doctrine may be orthodox, but you might be unwittingly trapped in something that has the social structure of a cult. Not only is all this name-calling hurtful, but ironically, it doesn't help us get to the truth. When we lob verbal grenades at each other and then duck into the trenches with others who share our opinions and prejudices, we won't grow. Name-calling is lazy. It's easy to smear and demean those who disagree with us with a well-aimed insult rather than rigorously engage with their argument. Next time we find ourselves in a cauldron of conflict, let's play nicely and disagree agreeably. Emmanuel from Martin Smith speaking of the God who is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And Jesus has come among us to show us how to live and indeed how to navigate conflict. As his followers, we're called to live a life that's radically different, a contrast of clarity married with humility, of diversity and at times disagreement, but as people who handle conflict with grace and listening hearts. Perhaps you're in a situation of conflict in your local church right now, tempers are boiling and words are flying hot and fast. Why not take time to stop, step back and pray? That reminds you of something I said earlier. 
If conflict is not allowed in your church, then beware, it might be turning into a cult. Conflict is a healthy part of life. But when conflict does come, let's ask the Holy Spirit, our helper, to help us find a way through. Thanks so much for joining me. See you next time. Lucas on Life. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.